telling you something negative, it's your opportunity to pray for them. Amen? When somebody's telling you something discouraging, it's your opportunity to pray for them. You have, you carry the anointing of the Holy One. You carry the grace of God, yes? And it doesn't matter even if you've just made a mistake, right? Somebody's oppressed with something, and maybe you too are wrestling through something, fighting through something, and, and you'll hear that little voice that says, well, who are you to pray for them? You can't pray for them, right? But it's not true, because your, the power of the Lord through you is because of the gift of righteousness that is given you in Jesus. How many of you know that? So you are covered. That's Ephesians chapter 6, right? We're wrestling not with flesh and blood. We're wrestling with principalities and powers, spiritual influence in the heavenly realms, in the spirit realm, right? And then it says, put on the full armor of God. Guess who the full armor of God is? Same answer we had last week for everything, right? Jesus. Put on Jesus. When you put on Jesus then even in your imperfection, you look just like Jesus. Did you know that? Did you know that when you pray, when you confront the enemy, when you, when you confront a sickness, when you minister healing to somebody, the, the sickness or the devil can't tell the difference between you and Jesus. Unless you give yourself away. I, I, I really shouldn't pray for you. I mean, I'm nothing. You know, I really shouldn't pray for you. I'm, I'm just kind of a worm, kind of, you know, crawling through life. But, I, I, you know, now I don't think God will do anything. But, you know, if it be thy will, Lord. You know, I mean, if you, if you allow yourself to reg- regress into just a natural state, Then all at once the enemy knows who's praying. But otherwise, if you have the full armor of God on, if you are covered in Jesus, if your righteousness is Him, then it's as if Jesus is praying. The Holy Spirit is riding on the sound waves of your voice to make good on your prayer, on your demand, on your decree, on your declaration. Amen? And so we have this expectation that the same things that happen through Jesus, through His ministry, will happen through us. Amen? Yeah, you believe that? Come on, let's say it together. The same things, the same occurrences, the same healings, the same breakthroughs that happen through Jesus, happen through me. Amen? It's true, because you're covered with Him. You're covered in Him. You have on His robe of righteousness. Amen? Uh, Hebrews chapter 3, let's go over there. Uh, I'm going to try. This is going to be tough, but uh, I'm going to try to uh, hook chapter 3 and chapter 4 together. And so uh, my hope and my, my desire is to actually read both chapter 3 and 4, or at least a good portion of chapter 4 as well. So that's a lot of Bible reading. Now, I want to do that because chapter 3 and 4 are really hooked together theologically. 
and they both are talking about the same thing. So let's dive in, and uh, we'll try not to get too burdened down with there's a superfluous amount of thought that we could, uh, that we could delve into, but I want to focus on just a couple things this morning as we do this. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, you can follow on the screens on your phone and your Bible. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was in all his house. For he has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses by just so much as the builder of the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. You see him mention already uh, the, the, that which we had mentioned last week, that Moses and the law and the Torah were a foreshadowing of Christ and that Christ is the essence, he's the image, he's the real thing. The foreshadowing was Moses, and so Moses as a servant, he was faithful, but his ministry was more like scaffolding to the real building, that he was a shadow, and the ministry of Moses and the Torah was a shadow to the real, to things, he says, a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. So Christ is the essence, and of course we know something uh, about shadows, is that the shadow is still important, yeah? If you looked at my shadow across the stage, of which there's two or three developing from uh, the light, you could find out a few things about me. You could find out uh, how large this thing is developing just by looking at the shadow, You might be able to uh, catch the feature of uh, a, a nose. Uh, there's, there's features. You, you could learn some things about me by looking at the shadow. Is that right? This is the way the Torah was, the law was. Uh, this is why Paul says in Romans 7 that the law is holy, that the law is good, that it's me. I'm the mess. The law is good. The law is holy. Uh, so we don't want to, and I say this because... Um, we want to realize that, that the upgrade we have in Jesus is not an upgrade that destroys the law, that makes the law worthless, uh, that, that uh, demeans or, or despises the law. The upgrade we have in the image is related to the shadow that we saw in the law. So there's value in the Torah, there's value in the law, there's value, and there's a lot of, actually, there's a lot of fun things we can still learn about Jesus by looking at the law. Amen? So, because we're still looking at the shadow of the image when we look at the law. So, that's, that's pretty good, yeah? 
And so really the two fit together. It's actually good to look at the shadow and the image. And when we look at the shadow and the image, then we, we learn even more about the one of whom that we are now joined to, or Romans chapter 7 told us last week that we're married to. No longer married to the shadow, but married to the real. How many of you think that might be a good thing? Uh, Any of you tried to kiss the shadow of your spouse lately? So being married to the shadow, if the real comes along, uh, how much better to be married to the real rather than just the shadow? Amen? So he says, we are part of the house now that Christ is building. He's building this house, and he is a master builder. If we hold fast our confidence and boast until firm until the end, therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, this is interesting, he says the Holy Spirit is saying this. Now, the Holy Spirit has said this, but now he says the Holy Spirit is now saying this. So this is like there's something coming out of the heavens continuously, something the Holy Spirit said and something he's saying, it's coming out of the heavens today. He says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me, as in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with this generation, and I said they always go astray in their heart, and they did not know my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Now, he's talking here specifically about what happened with the children of Israel in the 40-day wandering period. How many of you are familiar with the 40-day wandering period? So Numbers 13, Numbers 14, talk about this, and, and you find in Numbers 14, 28, uh, you, you find that he, the, the children of Israel are asking that they would be forgiven, just forgive us, forgive us. Uh, and he says, I will forgive you, but, but you can't go in, because though you're asking for forgiveness, you're not shifting your heart from doubt in the faith. You're not shifting your heart from unbelief into trusting me. And, and God was requesting, God was desiring that they would trust him. In fact, is, as he gets ready to take them into the promised land, he declares over them that no one who is not of faith can go in. So this was part of them going into their promised land, is that All of those who were unbelieving had to die off. Even though he forgave them, they had to die off. And a new generation raised up by Joshua and Caleb would be raised up out of their seed, out of their loins. A new generation would be raised up. And that would be a generation of faith because he declares only those of faith can go into the promised land. Now, all of that was, again, all of that that was transpiring was real. It was actually happening. These were historical events, but it was also a metaphor of us. It was a storyline about us 
who are new creation Christians as well, is that we can't go into our promised land with doubt and unbelief. We can be forgiven, but we can't go into our promised land. How many of you know there's a lot of Christians running around the earth today who are forgiven Christians, but they are not going into their promised land? Are you catching that? Only those who fully believe can go into their promised land. And the promised land, again, is a metaphor. It's a, it's a metaphor of what God calls us into as well. And he gives us an assurance that there's victory for us in that promised land because the promised land is calling you into something greater than you've ever done before, something more challenging, something richer. It's a land with milk and honey, but it is a place filled with giants as well. The giants can't be overcome with the law of Moses. You'll notice... Here, and let's read it, uh, and we'll just jump into a little bit of it here, a little bit more. Take care, I'm going to pick it up at verse 12, because I'm kind of preaching before the sermon. It always happens. Take care, brethren, that there not be any of you with an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. So encourage one another day after day. As long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. While it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. For who provoked him when they had heard indeed did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he angry for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. So he's promising them the promised land. He's promising them a land of milk and honey, a land of provision, a land of blessing. He starts this promise in Genesis 15. It's in Genesis 15 when he makes a covenant with Abraham. So Genesis 12, he romances Abraham with the covenant. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to make a great nation of you through you all the... The, the people of the earth will be blessed. That's Genesis 12. But in Genesis 15, Abraham's asking him more about that covenant. And he puts Abraham into a deep sleep. He comes over Abraham with a flaming torch. And he does a figure eight over his body. And then he makes these declarations over him that he's going to give him the land And this is the first promise of real estate. It's the land, and it's the land, by the way, that he had told him before, Genesis 15, when he took him as a vision out of his tent and showed him the stars. But he also said, look around, as far as you can see, I will give you this land. So it's a promise, a real estate promise, and this becomes the beginning of the promised land. 
Then the crazy thing about this that God does, you know this, many of you know, that what he does with this, he says that the land I'm going to give you, there's actually enemies in the land, people that hate me, people that are absolutely sinners. I'm going to let them build up the land for you. And then when I give you the land, you'll inherit a land that already has vineyards, houses, blessings, increase. They will have already dug wells for you. They will already have honeybees in operation. They'll have cows that you can milk. All of this will be going on. When I give you the land, you're going to inherit not just a bundle of hornets and briars, but you're going to inherit an amazing land. That's the promised land. This is a picture of what, he, of he's, of what he's trying to bring us into as well. And he calls it, he called that, Bringing them into rest. Bringing them into rest. Everybody say rest. I think a rest is a good thing. How many of you think rest is a good thing? Do any of you enjoy rest? Rest is interrelated to, uh, it's interrelated to recreation. Uh, rest, uh, our English word rest, is very much from the biblical word Sabbath. And the word Sabbath means to rest, to cease from work. Isn't that right? Let's go on into Hebrews chapter 4. That'll give us a little bit more of a background. Uh, I might not do the whole thing, but a portion of Hebrews chapter 4. And then we'll try to talk a little bit more about this rest that God tries to bring us into. How many of you know God loves it when you rest? Therefore, this is verse 1 of chapter 4. Therefore, let us fear, while if a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to come short of it. For indeed, we have had the good news preached to us, just as they also, but the word they heard did not profit them, because it was not united by faith, or mixed, the King James says, Mixed with faith. Yesterday, Frank was making a bunch of food for the Blythe wedding up there with Joe and Samantha. And uh, he had some, was it tiramisu? Is that right? And so, you know, you got to mix certain things together. You don't get the right result if you don't mix certain things together. God's word is meant to be mixed with faith. We have to mix his word with faith. Those who hear mix his word with faith. And you're noticing all the way through chapter 3 and into chapter 4, he's not saying the problem was that they failed to practice the law. He's not saying that the problem was they failed to practice the law perfectly. He's not saying that the problem was that, they're, that they were offering wrong sacrifice, they were bringing turtle doves when they should have been bringing pigeons. He's not saying that they were bringing grain offerings when they should have been bringing an ox or a bullock. It's interesting that what God was really upset about, and now he's talking to people in A.D. 64. This is A.D. 64, when Paul is writing this book to the Hebrew believers, and they've been hearing the preaching of the word now for about 31 years. 
And he says, we have to be so careful. He's telling them, we have to be so careful because they heard, they heard God's word too. They heard a word about rest. They heard a word about a promised land. They heard a word about blessing. They heard a word about increase. They heard a word about God caring for them. They heard a word as well, but they didn't mix the word with faith, so they couldn't enter into their rest. Now, by the way, they died forgiven. You ever thought about that? They died forgiven. How many of you would rather die forgiven with no promised land or died forgiven with promised land? What would you prefer? Anybody in the building? Uh, let, with promised land, hands up. Hands broken and unable to... Uh, uh, oh, and... and how about over here, forgiven but no promised land? Forget about that stuff. Any hands in the building? Mostly humans here this morning. That's good. So, think, I mean, think about how crazy this is. They, they didn't enter the rest that God prepared for them because they didn't activate their faith. They didn't keep their faith at work. They didn't keep their faith activated. Did you know that you have a role in faith? That when you hear the word, and he's saying, by the way, he's actually saying throughout this, because he's going to repeat it again, I believe. He's, going to, he's actually saying that when you hear the word of God, when you hear the voice of the Lord, you actually will recognize that it's his voice. That's why he's already said twice today, if you hear his voice, he's actually He's actually saying, you'll recognize his voice. And by the way, his voice is a voice of promise. His voice is a voice that is good. His voice is a voice to lead you into rest. But you have to respond by activating your faith and keeping your faith active. How many of you know that's a daily thing, by the way? In Genesis 2, Joel and I were talking about this yesterday. In Genesis 2, 2, it says that God rested on the seventh day. Now, what happened is, you know, he creates, and for six days he creates. On the seventh day, he rested. How many of you know God didn't need to rest? How many of you know he wasn't weary? But we're made in his image, and so he was doing something wherein we would follow his example. So it says on the seventh day, he rested. Well, it also says because he had completed his work. He saw it was good, and he had completed his work. And so Joel said, I think that's one of our problems. One of our problems is that even when we go to rest, we recognize we haven't completed our work. So it's hard for humans to rest because we haven't completed our work. There's so much more to do. How many of you create a list? You create a list. and How many of you create a list in the morning? Six of you. Really? That's all? How many of you create a list on Sunday or Monday? You create a list for the week. Yes? Some of you just fire from the hip. Ready, ready aim, fire. Um, ready, fire, aim. All right, so a lot of us, I know that the truth is a lot of you are list people, right? Every woman in this building is a list person. And every man is a honeydew checker. You got to check that honeydew list, right? And so we got these lists, and this is part of why it's hard for us to rest, 
is that we, we've got all this stuff going on. We have all this stuff ahead of us. We have all this stuff that did not get done, okay? Yeah. So we've got to mix. We've got to keep mixing. Uh, we've got to keep mixing our faith with what God has done in Jesus. Now, we, I don't know if we're going to get to the end of all this today, but we're okay. We're having fun, yeah? So just as I swore, or just as he said, as I swore in my wrath, they will not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. That's interesting. In Genesis 2, 2, where it says that he finished his works, he rested and he finished his works, that finish, that completion spanned all the way to today. It spanned all the way to everything you need, by the way. It spanned all the way to everything he's done for you in Christ. It spanned all the way to Jesus being our rest and the one we enter into, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Isn't that amazing? For he said somewhere concerning the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage, they shall not enter my rest. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience, he again fixes a certain day today, saying, through David, after so long a time, just as had been said before, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who's entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. Let's stop right there. So what's he saying? He's saying that he's wanting them to notice, the Hebrew people, that the rest he's called the people of God to enter into had a partial fulfillment in Joshua, in that Joshua and Caleb did raise up a people of faith, and they did take them into their promised land, and they did cross over, and they did inherit a land that was promised to Abraham, and they went in as a people of faith. But he's saying that was only a partial fulfillment, a metaphor, a picture, a foreshadow of the ultimate thing that God has intended. That's why David says after Joshua did that, David refers to another rest. He says there's another rest. So David after Joshua, David looks forward and David lived after Joshua. David looks forward and David says, you know what, this has been good, but you know what, God's got another rest. God has another rest in mind. And that rest that he has in mind is the Sabbath rest that we have in Jesus, wherein Jesus fulfills the seventh day. He fulfills the essence of the Sabbath. He fulfills what God has required for us. And when we enter into Jesus, we enter into rest. How many of you think that's good? Uh, I was looking and I saw, and I was going to bring two and a half reams of paper with me to illustrate, and I got a little sidetracked this morning. Uh, But 
there are 613 laws in the Torah. The first five books of the Bible, 613 laws. And remember, Deuteronomy 28 says that we have to, we have to perform all that is written in the book for the blessing to come upon us. 613, how many of you think that that would be a lot of stuff to think about all the time? You know what I'm glad, you know what I'm glad about? I'm glad that the spirit of loving God and the spirit of loving one another lives in me. He's doing a lot of thinking for me, and he's leading me in a way that blesses people and blesses my Father, and it's all happening internally. Isn't that cool? Because I don't have to memorize 613 commandments. Now, when the living one, the image of the commandments, has transformed my heart and he lives on the inside of me and he testifies of how to love people, then if I hear one of these, it's really not a contradiction. Yeah? Leviticus 19, uh, 17, don't embarrass others. Is that all right? Deuteronomy 18, 15 Listen to the prophet who's speaking in God's name. Exodus twenty two twenty one. Don't oppress the weak. Do you have a problem with that? No. Why? Because the the witness of the of the fulfillment lives on the inside of you. He likes that, right? Reprove wrongdoers. Leviticus nineteen seventeen. That's actually Luke seventeen three as well. Uh, not to consult a medium. Deuteronomy 18, 11. That shouldn't be too hard for us, right? Don't make a covenant with idolaters. Deuteronomy 7, 2. Now, there's a bunch of these, and, and the point, here's the point that Paul's trying to get across, is that, that if my righteousness is connected to performing all of those, that's a lot of work. And that's part of the rest that we are invited into. The rest that the Hebrew people were invited into, the Sabbath rest that was completed in Christ that we are invited into is that no longer are we thinking, well, I could never measure up to that. I could never get that right. Or how am I ever going to get these right? Or no longer are we thinking that we have to earn our way. The good that we do is not to be accepted. The good that we do is because we are accepted. I'm not earning my way to become a son. I live this way because I am a son. Amen? We've become children of God, sons and daughters of God. And so the promises are activated within, and the rest of God is ours. Now, the rest of God, this Sabbath rest, it also extends into other areas of our lives. It extends into the realm of thanksgiving. The Sabbath cycle is a real thing for today. That's why you're here. You're here today because you actually believe the Sabbath cycle has relevance, that rest has relevance. We've learned it in agriculture. We've learned it in our own lives. We've learned it, the Bible says, with our animals as well, is that There's wisdom in letting things have a cycle of rest. So he is showing us in the Sabbath, even though it's fulfilled in Christ, 
that there's wisdom in us resting, reflecting, giving God a day. It's the day wherein we acknowledge him, we thank him, we honor him, we're restored to him. You know what, uh, you know what many theologians believe? The Sabbath was the day of rest, and the day of rest was the day of communion with Father. Adam and Eve are busy, and they're busy tending the garden, and they're busy doing all their stuff six days a week, and they're working hard, and they're doing everything God's told them to do. But on the seventh day, the seventh day, they rested, and that was the day they communed with Father. And many theologians believe that's the day they fell. It was the cool of that day that they, that they chose to obey a different voice. And when Father showed up for fellowship that day, they were naked, afraid, and hiding. Fellowship was broken. And so Christ, the fulfillment that we have in Christ, the, the, the law called the people of Israel as a special, peculiar people who were called out. The law said, I want you to honor this day. It's going to be a day that's set apart. I want you to have a day that that you revere me and that you look to me. And Christ, in the fulfillment of that day, is still saying today that the cycle of six and one, the cycle of seven, that you have a day that you honor the Lord in, is a powerful thing. That this is the day where we commune with God. We, we revere the Lord. And then there's a third rest. I'm going to ask the band to come. We're going to try to close this morning. There's a third rest that we enter into. That's the rest of his provision. The rest of his provision. This is the rest that he talks about in Matthew 6. 33, seek first the kingdom. In Matthew chapter 6, he says that the Gentiles, those who don't know me, they are worried about stuff all the time. They're spending all their time on stuff. They don't spend any time pursuing me because they're worried about clothing. What are we going to wear? They're worried about food. What are we going to eat? They're worried about their their Mustang, what are we going to ride? Their Camaro, their, their Sable, their Steed. They're, they're worried about all this stuff. But he says, not so with you. Don't you know that Father knows you need all those things? And so we enter into the rest of provision, but not unless we mix our faith. We have to do what was told of them. That our lives, we can be forgiven, by the way. You can be forgiven and be a very agitated Christian. You can be a forgiven Christian. You can have the fire insurance of missing eternal damnation with the devil and his cohorts. You can have that and still be very agitated very frustrated, very irritated, very bitter, very upset. And when that is a lifestyle, 
you're going to feel like you got to get saved all over again all the time. Are you going to be questioning your relationship with God and questioning your salvation? It's, it's like, it's like you, you know you're forgiven. You know you can have forgiveness, but it's like knowing God is distant from you and knowing of his goodness is not, you're not intimate with how good he is. You just simply need to mix your faith with this provisionary aspect of God, that he is your rest. Jesus has become your provision. He's not just your righteousness. He's not just one you observe in Thanksgiving on a Sunday, but he is your provider. His works were finished from the foundation of the earth, and he has you covered in every aspect of your life. Let's stand this morning. closed just all across the auditorium I want you to just take a moment and just reflect on mixing your faith with what Jesus has done you have within you the ability to mix your faith with what Jesus has done you have within you the ability to say yes to his righteousness, yes to his provision, yes in thanksgiving, yes to friendship and intimacy, yes to letting yourself be covered by him, working out of sonship, not working to get sonship, working out of acceptance through him, not working to get acceptance. You have that ability. You have that ability. And I want to invite you right now just to begin to posture your heart that way. Begin to talk to Father that way. Begin to voice that you receive his gift of Jesus as your Sabbath, as your rest. As the central giver of promises. He's giving you promises for you to enter into your promised land. And Lord, we mix our faith with your word this morning. We shift our heart. We shift our heart. We shift our mind to mix our faith. We agree this morning. We don't want to be those who are just forgiven. We want to be those who please you because we've mixed our faith with what you've done on our behalf. We ask you to show us this morning in your gentle correction in your gentle Holy Spirit. Show us any place in our lives where we are not mixing faith with what you've done. We ask you to quicken the rest to us that is ours in Jesus. 
We ask you to quicken the essence of the promises, the promised land, that which you have done in your promises, Lord. Yeah, I'm going to ask the prayer team to come this morning and just prepare to minister to us. I'm going to open the front as we close this morning in worship. I'm inviting you just to come, receive fully who he is. Make declarations before him of, of, of setting him apart in your heart, in your life. Mixing your faith with Him. Acknowledging Him in all of His goodness this morning.